Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Ice Planet Barbarians by Ruby Dixon. This was published in 2021, Berkeley Special Edition, but I believe it was originally self-published earlier, and is the first book in the Ice Planet Barbarians series. And full disclosure, we did receive an advanced reader copy of the Berkeley Special Edition. So we want to be clear that this um, discussion slash review is based on that edition. And I know there have been some slight edits from the original. Oh, really? Do you know what those edits were? I do. We can talk about that a little later. (laughs) I do know what the edits are. In the text? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I just think we, do we just start with the jacket? Just do it. You got to read, you do it. You want to start or you want me to do it? You'd think being abducted by aliens would be the worst thing that could happen to me. And you'd be wrong because now the aliens are having ship trouble. And they've left their cargo of human women, including me on an ice planet. And the only native inhabitant I've met He's big, horned, blue, and really, really has a thing for me. I mean, yeah. No issues with this project. No edits, no critiques. I, I wouldn't change anything. I will say we generated a random number as usual to write our own summaries. I don't think we can top that, number one. And also, number two, our random number is 24. And this one is 61. So I think that she did a really good job. 61 words. More than we ever get, but agree. It's succinct to the point and covers all the bases. But Meg, what was your 24-word summary? So I did write a 24-word summary. And it is. Apparently, human women are the sexiest females in the galaxy because they get alien abducted by two kinds of extraterrestrials and mated with a third. Okay. Small caveat. Mm -hmm. Make it very clear this isn't in the galaxy. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) I was trying to, like, not be too ridiculous and say we were the sexiest in the universe, but I guess I have to change that. I think it's in the universe. (laughs) So human females are the sexiest in the universe, Lane. They are. Otherwise, excellent job. What's yours? Capitalism getting you down and you've been kidnapped by rapist aliens? Becoming soulmates with a sentient sex toy can solve all your problems. It's true. It is very true. (laughs) The fact that the aliens that are sexy are blue. They're blue. They're like seven feet tall. They're like avatars. They're like avatars, but like avatars with with actual genitalia, because avatars didn't have genitalia. <laughs> I don't know why that stuck in my mind. They didn't. Right, because remember they like ESP'd sex? Yes. Yeah. And then all of their appendages are just sex toys. Yeah, so I had a lot of questions about the female bodies in particular, Mm -hmm. because we get to know the male ones pretty well. 
So the males have a tongue like a dildo. Yeah. Yes. Their penises are shaped like dildos with clit attachments. Right. Which BT dubs, those vibrators are awesome. So, like, I get why that was exciting, but also what? <laughs> um, and then we learn through the male's perspective that females of this race do not have clits. Right. And that everyone's nipples are armored. They're like, yeah, they're just like hard. Hard. I was imagining like, you know, Batman Forever's chest. <laughs> like Michael Keaton? No, like George Clooney. Oh, George Clooney's Batman. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, because he had nipples, remember? He did have nipples on them. Yep. I'm like holding my chest now because the thought is so horrifying. <laughs> we're okay. Both just like, yes. Gesturing. Um, yeah, so that's what we're dealing with is human women. And when I said sentient sex toy, I meant it. Yeah. But yeah, I just have a lot of questions about the female bodies because, like, I'm jumping so far ahead. But his <laughs> mind is blown when she gives him a blowjob. His mind's not the only thing that's blown. Thank you for getting my pun and then making it obvious. <laughs> You're so, I have to make it. That's my job. That's <laughs> your my job. job. Um, and so I just wonder what, like, you know, obviously dildo tongues are great for women, but how does that feel for a dude? You really need, you need some more depth of experience. <laughs> well, then also, like, how does dildo tongue affect speech? They have a different language, so they seem to be able to do okay, although they also seem to mispronounce a little bit, right? Yeah. And I, I'm trying to think, like, if I make my tongue as tubular as possible, <laughs> what happens to my pronunciation? I feel like we need to listen to this on audiobook just to know <laughs> what their accents are like. Like, how do you talk with a dildo tongue? I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's tubular. I think it's just. Thick. I felt like it was tubular, ridged, bumpy. Well, it was all bumpy. Yeah. All the way around. <laughs> I mean, your tongue is like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> all right. Tropes. And then we're just going to do this thing, guys. Uh, for the record. This isn't much of a plot, so I yeah. don't know how much of a spoiler warning is necessary, but, like, we're just, we just gotta do this. So, if you really want to read this totally spoiler-free, I just stop now. Yeah, if you want to, I mean, if you want to go into this blind, I think we already spoiled you by telling you about their tongues, because that's a huge plot point. <laughs> <laughs> But otherwise, like, we'll try not to talk about major plot points if we think of any. I don't think there are major plot points. At least not ones that are beyond the first, like, three chapters. <laughs> which we usually <laughs> spoil anyway. So, there you go. Alrighty. So, the big trope here is faded mates. Like, they are... They, he knows right when he sees her because his... Oh, I forget the word for it, but it starts vibrating <laughs> in his chest. Curry, K-U-R-I. It's curry. So here's my problem with this curry, and I'm going to pronounce that intentionally like the 
meal from India because it makes me laugh. It makes, it's very clear later on in the text that what the curry is actually resonating with is the fact that this person is like your ideal mate from a gene perspective, mm-hmm. from a reproduction mm-hmm. perspective. So it's not a soulmate thing. I it's mean, a genetic compatibility thing. Yes, but if you read like paranormal romance, a lot of times that's what they try to pass off the whole fated mate thing as. Like this is, you can only have children with your fated mate and then it's because fate like designated them for you and they're the best for you. And therefore you're in love. Right. I mean, look, I have issues with the fated mate trope. Let me just put it out there. I've been reading a lot of fated mate books recently and I just have issues with this trope. That said, it is very fun to read if you, if you don't want to think too hard about it. I just, I think my problem is I don't read enough of it. So I was thinking too hard about it. Yeah. I was like, okay, so first of all, you're not guaranteed to actually even like, let alone love this person. It just means that like, and the sex isn't even guaranteed to be good. You're just guaranteed to be genetically compatible. Two, especially in this case, what makes them faded mates is not something innate to them. Mm -hmm. It is a parasite they willingly (laughs) let infect their bloodstream through a cut. Like, yes, willingly, but also if they don't, then they will die. So they also have no other choice. Right. So, like, it's not just a question of, like, does whatever unknown sense in the universe give you the ability to sense a fated mate also have a sense to say, okay, this person is both your lover and your genetic match? It's like, is this parasite you got from what is essentially a woolly mammoth heart? It's not a woolly mammoth heartworm. Yeah, it's a fully mammoth heartworm capable of sensing your genetics and pointing out your genetic match, but also somehow having something to say about your feelings. And also, BT dubs, it's not even species specific. No, but maybe, so I just thought of this, maybe the parasite you know, since it's not, you, it's not, it's a parasite, yes, but it's also, it's also a What's the word when it's like a symbiosis, right? Symbiote. So it's a symbiote. So it's not a parasite. It's a symbiote because you can't live without it. And it obviously has to live in someone's heart. Yeah, it becomes a symbiote. But I think at the time you're cutting your neck, it's a parasite. It, it, well, I don't think it's a parasite <laughs> at all, ever, because you can't live without it. Okay, but fair. But you, they could leave. They, mm, I mean... There are some issues with that too, but yes, I mean, technically, but it's like, you can't live without it. If you stay here, what I'm trying to get at is what if this symbiote not only senses that this person is your genetic match, but what if it can also like affect your, the way you feel about them? That's fucked up. I mean, yes, it is, but I'm also very influenced by Star Trek and I'm thinking of another symbiote. There. Okay, so quick context revelation for our listeners, though I'm sure longtime listeners are aware. Meg is far better versed in science fiction than I am, <laughs> not just in literature and romantic sci-fi, but even just Star Trek, Star Wars, all of that. I have seen two of the Chris Pine Star Treks. I have seen Star Wars episode four, and that is it. Yeah. I mean, um, so yeah. all of this, like, this is really sci-fi goes right over my head. 
it it is there are a lot of sci-fi tropes i mean i don't want to say a lot but there are a few sci-fi tropes that appear here too anyway if you do like star trek i'm thinking of the trail done fair enough <laughs> i don't know so. what that means all of those words made nothing no sense to me at all so she's an earthling yes from florida she's from florida yeah and she gets Kidnapped by aliens. Yeah. She's so, 22, and all the other women kidnapped are also 22. All It's a, like a whole cohort, yeah. 22. <laughs> um, if that was not what I was thinking the whole time, y'all know. Where's Wendy and Tony when I need them? Um, I was going to say, okay, so I know all about sci-fi. <laughs> you know all about Taylor Swift, so there you go. Works out. Um, she ends up being the de facto leader of the kidnapped women. We will get into this in offensiveness. Uh-huh. Um, and so then she goes out to try to save them when they're abandoned, as Meg and the jacket described. Yeah. And then she meets her soulmate, and he's her one true rescuer or whatever. He's her, he's her fated mate. But here's the other deal, is that... His society is, this is a sci-fi trope. So here's a sci-fi trope for you, which is kind of interesting. They have this like very skewed gender ratio. So there are way more men than there are women. <laughs> so there, there are a lot of books out there that, it's a lot of science fiction books that try to examine gender, sex, sex roles, gender roles, whatever, and a lot of the ways they do it is by saying, okay, well, what if on this planet there's only one man born to every 10 females? So most of the time, it's a planet of women, not a planet of men. So it is a little bit gender swapped here. And I think that's fun. Yeah. And in this case, it's not like a genetic predisposition toward one sex or the other. It's that the population size has gotten so small. <laughs> I know. I mean, on the one hand, I'm glad that this one ship of Earth women is going to be able to rejuvenate the tribe. On the other hand, it's only going to last for a few generations, right? Like, population bottleneck is going to be a problem. So this was my big thought. Okay. So, his people are not native to this planet. Right. They did not know that. She discovers it in the course of this text. Of course. And she learns that his people crashed here 287 years ago, mm-hmm. though the length of a year is some weird math bullshit that I didn't retain. But he also indicates that his people's lifespan is artificially enhanced by this symbiote. The, the curry. The curry. How long artificially enhanced is, who knows. But let's say we're working within the average human lifespan of 80-odd years. Sure. So instead, their lifespan is 120 years. Let's say it. And let's say the 287 weird-ass math, who the F knows. They're only like three or four generations removed from the crash. Yeah. So the fact that they have lost all memory, like, societal memory of it. To the point that, like, they don't even know that this thing that informs her of all this shit is a spaceship and the spaceship that brought them all here. When she uncovers it, I found very eye-rolly. Yeah. 
You just hit me though, because I was thinking, oh, they're really going to have to track like who has kids and who they're going to have sex with. But I was like, no, the co- the curry's going to decide for them because they know who who is genetically best. So the curry's going to do all the the matchmaking. Yeah, the, the curry will do all the matchmaking, but also they're not that many generations in to the point that like Habsburg level inbreeding is a concern yet. Not yet. All right, let's start from the beginning because we jumped. Well, we had jumped because I had questions. Okay, so Georgie wakes up on an alien ship. All the girls are wearing their pajamas. And it's really gross. Right, Lane? It is. And the first chapter, before I realized just how serious and gross and bad it was, I was thinking about that SNL skit. Uh Uh-huh. Which one? Uh, so the most famous version of it is with Ryan Gosling. But it's Kate McKinnon and Cicely Strong and then whoever the guest host is. Mm-hmm. And they've all been abducted by aliens. Uh-huh. And Cicely Strong and the guest host all invariably have, like, really positive experiences. Mm. Like, I was abducted by aliens and my body was bathed in this golden light. And they asked me, like really fulfilling questions and I felt really loved and I was like transported down on a cloud and all this shit. And Kate McKinnon to everything they say responds with, so it was a little different for me. <laughs> and yeah. then one of them, she's like all the little gray aliens got in the line and smacked her in the tit. Uh-huh. And then just got in the back of the line. <laughs> so it's like invariably her telling all these like horror stories about alien abduction while everyone else had these like fantastic enlightening experiences so that was my first thought and then this got real dark it gets really dark um so so it picks up these women i forget how many there are like i don't know how many there are there are six in tubes right for six women who were clearly like the quota they had and the resources they had to transport in ignorance alien technology. Right. And I think when there, I want to say there's like eight or so. Yeah. I mean, I could look up how many books there are and that would tell me how many women there are, but I'm not going to do that. Well, would some of them die. Well, it's kind of unclear how many die. Well, it's, yeah. Um, okay. So on this, they, they, they're in this little jail. They get like nasty food and they have to, you know, pee in a bucket. Like, it's all gross. I was very upset. I was, like, very close to DNFing around Chapter 3. Yeah. And they were, like, all the girls who are already on there are, like, don't scream because that will infuriate the aliens. And, of course, there are two different kinds, and they're just horribly ugly, both kinds. Right? And sadistic. Short ones and tall ones. And then, you know, the women have been kidnapped at slave as sex slaves well they've been kidnapped as cargo and the one who's capable of translating knows they're going to be sold right they are being sexually abused on the ship whether they will be sold into sex slavery being essentially lab rats they none of them know like part of the scary uncertainty is what awaits them at their destination other than slavery of some kind but what is certainly affecting them in their present is that they are at I risk mean, of sexual abuse at all times. Right. 
And uh, I hate this. I hated it. I was this close to DNFing, except Meg told me about the blue alien with a dildo dick. And so I kept going. Well, it's a good thing that you read the Berkeley edition because in the original, the so there's a girl who's raped. It's like described, apparently. <gasps> mm-hmm. Why? So she so Ruby Dixon actually talks about it it's in the um afterword of this one if you're interested in checking it out. It. I, I know you didn't. I know you never do. So I'll, I didn't I'll finish, give you... I didn't even read the like honeymoon after effect because it was like this takes place chronologically after book two and I was like okay I won't read it (laughs) you're like I'm gonna read book two and then I'll come back yep uh so what she said was that she had initially included it because she wanted the stakes to feel really high um but that's bullshit like I fucking hate that rape is what raises the stakes right and she does say later that you know she realizes that the stakes are already high. Like I did not need that to be included. So. So it's cut here. It is not described in detail. That said, as the reader, you know what's happening. No, you know what's happening. And then I think, so content note, these are content notes, right? For you that there is a rape in the beginning, that they're treated horribly. They're all sexually abused in the beginning. And then the girl who is raped also dies by suicide later. Yeah. So be aware of all those things. Unclear. One of the things that frustrated me about this book, first of all, this idea that the victim of rape is the end of your life. Right. But two, the implication wasn't necessarily that it was a deliberate suicide, but that she'd sort of gone crazy and lost her connection with reality and didn't understand why the choice she was making would be fatal. Mm Mm-hmm. And this idea that being a rape victim damages you to the yeah. point that you're unable to sense reality, I find even more offensive than just the I was raped and then I commit suicide narrative. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because there are other women who were raped, but you, they don't they're they don't not named. Get, they're not named and they don't get a they don't get a focus in this novel. I have an Full disclosure, I have not read anything other than this Berkeley edition of the book, but I do hear that in later stories, there are women who are the protagonists who were raped by the other aliens. And that's something that, you know, is, is focused on in their books. So I do want to mention that. I, that makes me not want to read them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that we will, but I am mentioning, I'm just saying that, you know, at, not even as a counterpoint, but just as an, an information for you. Yeah. So I, the first couple of chapters here were really hard for me. They're, I mean, they're really tough to read. Honestly, they're not, I don't know. They're, they're very difficult because it, it plays into a lot of the worst cliches of science fiction, in my opinion, right? The alien abduction, they're abducting you for, we're not really sure why, but to torture you basically, whether it's for experiments or for sex slavery or whatever, it doesn't really matter at that point. Uh, and then that you, you don't escape through your own agency either. So they escape because unclear, they don't really know why, but they, their portion of the cargo ship is jettisoned onto this ice planet. <laughs> and in fairness to the women in question, but 
Georgie in particular. She has hatched an escape. Uh, she has hatched an escape plan. It's in the process of executing it. Right. When these external events lead to them being jettisoned. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying the setup for this book, if, if you are a science fiction fan, I think you'll recognize the setup. And be like, okay, you know, I see where this is going, basically. So as not a science fiction fan, I cannot comment on this. Yeah. But once they get onto the ice planet, story gets a little more interesting. Yeah. So I was almost sick when they land on the ice planet because Georgie in particular, but several of our other friends are literally covered in human excrement. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. A handful have died in the crash on impact from various injuries they sustained, and there's blood and gore everywhere. She has just bludgeoned one of their captors to death, mm-hmm. but has to steal his clothing for warmth. So she's just nauseatingly filthy. I mean, I was like actually upset at the mm-hmm. level of detail that just how gross she was. And so she just, she gets voluntold. <laughs> right. I mean, she does volunteer, but. it's Voluntold is the correct word. There's an <laughs> element of consent, but there's also an element of this is what's going to happen. This is the, uh, um, yeah. To go explore their surroundings and figure out if there's a way out for them. See if she can find some food or something. And when she gets herself into several deadly encounters and eventually passes out, she's rescued by... Vectal. Vectal, whatever. I mean, and he's a big blue alien. Wakes Vectal. her from this situation with oral sex. Uh-huh. And all I could think is everything she's covered in. <laughs> this was the least... Like, beyond the lack of consent and the fact that he wakes her this way, like, this is probably the only time that I will say something, like, beyond the lack of consent. (laughs) I was just like, she's disgusting. She's covered in brains and a poop bucket and being unwashed for, like, two weeks. And this is what's... I'm, like, gonna throw up. So, oh, I I was not okay until she takes a bath, like, 30% 30% into the book. Yeah. I, I also want to point out, I just want to mention this, that this book is written in first person, present tense, and it switches perspective by chapter mostly between Georgie and Vectel. Okay. Just, just want to say that normally I kind of hate first person, present tense. I was like, I'm just going to read it. And it was so ridiculous. I was just like, of course, of course. But my point is, I was like full on distressed for the first third of this book. Yeah, it, I mean, it is stressing. They're in a really tough situation. And then, like, <laughs> I will say, I mean, it's ridiculous, but she gets awoken by oral sex, right? But she's covered in human excrement and brains. I, I know, but ignore that part, right? I can't. I actually can't, Meg. <laughs> so she gets awoken by this oral sex. And, like, her thought is, okay, this is weird. I didn't ask for it. but. He doesn't seem to be violent, and it feels pretty good, so I'll just go with it. I was 
so much less upset by that than I should have been. <laughs> and so much more upset by the state of her person. Oh my God. Okay. So Vecto finds her and he's like, oh, she's a little itty bitty, cute, sweet little thing. And she's my mate. And I can tell because my curry's vibrating. <laughs> and oh my God. I'm sorry. It's so funny. Uh, eventually she does take a bath. So she takes a bath like in a natural hot spring. And after that, so I will give Ruby Dixon a lot of credit that she doesn't just like gloss over the whole translation thing. Her solution to it is pretty ridiculous, but she doesn't pretend like these aliens in a different galaxy apparently can speak English. I need to go back to the hot spring. She has to put on her gross clothes, which she does not wash. She does. After she bathes. Girl. <laughs> take the clothes in with you. He has magic soap berries. Why are you not washing clothes? Oh, yeah. You have to put back on your body. Soap I berries. I was not okay. I was very interested in the, the fauna on this planet. Or no, the flora of this planet. <laughs> it's like, what the heck? Well, you know. That's a thing on Earth, right? No, I had no idea. That's a thing on Earth. Yeah. Tell, so there's something called more soap. So there's something called soap nuts. Okay. And they're a berry shell that occurs in nature that it contains. I'm reading an actual passage right now. I just found contain a national a natural cleaning agent that works like a detergent. All right. So apparently, what I thought was very alien flora is she just took it from the Himalayas. Yeah. Never mind. Guys, I know a lot about, like, weird natural cleaning as a knitter. It's, like, amazing how quickly your brain gets attuned to, like, this is a natural fiber. You can't wash it with chemicals. What do I do? Soap berries. <laughs> they're a real thing. Oh, you can Google soap, soap berries. It's got a Wikipedia page. Um, so she's like, we got to go back and rescue my girls. And he doesn't understand what the heck she's talking about. He's like, no, what we have to do is just, like, have sex all the time because you're so hot and you're my mate. Well, what he's really like is we got to get you back to my camp because right. we got to get you a curry. Well, he wants to get her a curry. And then he's also like, oh, I can tell that she is colder. Like, she gets colder more quickly than me. So I need to get her some nice furs to keep her warm. Yeah. So, I mean, look, basically he's doing the whole faded mate thing. He just wants to take care of her and protect her. I find this a little bit problematic in a way I was ultimately okay with. Being honest. Because there was this implication that, like, no, no, no. I love you and I'm taking care of you. And that means I am only doing what you want, even if it hurts me. Yeah. In his internal monologue through the whole book. And I'm like, this is some toxic ass shit. This is the fade. This is the faded mate trope lane. Welcome to this wonderful like world. I don't think I like it. <laughs> Welcome to the world of kidnapping because you're my mate. <laughs> uh, uh -uh. Of course, we are. You know, holding you prisoner because you're my mate. Those are big ones. Yeah. And I also like. Okay, she's a dum dum because she decides that she thinks about protection when they're hooking up. Trope. Because she thought so hard about it, you know it's not true. Um, 
And she's like, eh, we're interspecies. This is going to be fine. I mean, I'm going to be honest. They're not just interspecies. Apparently, they're intergalactic extraterrestrials. Like, I also would definitely not think I was having a baby. Right. But he impregnated her literally instantly to the point that she knew she was late one week after having sex with him. Mm-hmm. The curry is very powerful. Any other women listening want to know why I was like, the fuck at that? I'm like, no, I think that's very why? obvious. Yeah, I'm just going to let that stand. Very obvious. <laughs> okay. are two male listeners, Google it. <laughs> so she's trying to get, she's trying to get him to go back to save her, her girls. Because mm-hmm. they're, they don't have very much food left. They have some food, but not much. Well, so the thing is, the aliens cut off their cargo bay. Right. With the intent of coming back for them as the one who can translate. Because the translator was stapled to her fucking head. Stapled. Mm-hmm. Can hear them say. But the only cargo they had to bring back was the, were the women in the tubes. Right. Like, fine there for an indefinite period. So, like, the aliens don't give a shit if all of the loose humans in the bay die. Yeah, but they did give them some food. Some. So, she's like, we got to go back for them. The aliens are coming back, one, but two, like, they don't have resources. Right. So, we're going to go back for them. And he's like, oh, I, I need to take her, I need to take her home so I can take care of her. And then, like, every night they're just having mind-blowing sex i mean apparently these blue aliens like that's they 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 just going down on women is like the best thing ever for them i don't think it's going down on women it's described specifically that the curry makes going down on your partner (laughs) really good like your favorite meal (laughs) it's their religion at this point. Yeah. So on her way to, okay, this is my favorite part. Not my favorite part. It's the dumbest part. And I laughed so hard. On the way back, he's like, let's stop in this cave. And she's like, okay. So they go in a cave. She's like, this cave is pretty regular for a cave. Like, it's very geometric. And then she sees a flashing red button. And she thinks, I should probably push this button. <laughs> and she pushes the button. And it's an AI that gives you all the info you need, where they are, how this other people trash landed. It also had, it could speak English, could speak it any can language. Insta, it could insta implant any language into your brain. Yes. So she stood, also, but it's like 250 years old, right? So anyway, I just think it's funny. What would be funny in consecutive books would be if they all spoke like historical romance heroes. <laughs> because that was the English that they got. That would be amazing. It's not going to happen, but I would love it. Anyway, so she and Bechtel each can now speak each other's language. She's very excited. No, he, he never speaks English. But doesn't he get in the light and he can understand it? No. 
No, she speaks his language. He never learns English. But a whole bunch of the other dudes on his planet who are like, we want mates, do learn English. But he never does. Oh, so he's like, I don't know. I thought that it. was fucked up. I only remember it because he was like, why is she in the light? What the hell is happening? And then she wakes up and explains to him and they immediately depart. And then it's never in the text that he goes back to learn her language. I mean, I guess I'm just assuming that you would want to speak your partner. I mean, want to speak your partner's language. I mean, I learned French from my husband, but then I realized that like there are, there are people who don't like very famous people who don't do it. Anyway, whatever. I was just thinking about it. I was just thinking about Roger Federer and his wife because he never learned her mother tongue. He speaks like five fucking languages. But it seems to me like if you could learn a language with like no time spent, like you could just learn it, that you would do it. Yeah, that's the, that's the, I had an issue with that. Also, like, let's not lie. If you or I were put in front of a machine, both of us would be like, how long would it take you to teach me literally every language you have? Just load it up. Just load it up. Just do it. <laughs> and if they were like three days, I'd be like, someone give me a protein bar. Let's do this. I'd be like, I'm good. I'll, come, I'll be back tomorrow. Okay. I, w- I, w- I would volunteer immediately. But yeah, he never learned her fucking language. Yeah. Piss me off. Okay. So they go, they rescue the girl. Oh, do they go back to his place first and get more men to go help rescue? Not more men, more blue aliens to rescue so the they, girls? They go to the girls. Yeah. Establish that raped one committed suicide check on them and then they leave all the furs they've collected to that point and some food with them and the two of them leave to go back to his home to get more men yes and they stop at the spaceship that teaches languages on the way yeah and he does carry her on his back so it's a little bit like Bella and Edward (laughs) in the movies (laughs) yep and, um, okay, so then, the, and they're just having sex all the time because it's just the best. And all the time. And she's not it. even possessed by a thing. Not yet. Not yet. I think he's like, I can give her some of my Curry's power if we have sex. I don't think it's driven by No, they, She's no. so pissed off that she doesn't want to fuck when her, like, starved, dirty friends that have been shitting in this room can hear them. Again, the author, Ruby, did too good a job reminding me of how gross all the settings yes. were. I was like, there were some scenes that would have been sexy in another content and context. And I was like, Mm-mm. Uh, this is so visceral. I can smell what's going on and I'm out. Yes. So keep in mind that he's got this spur, which when they're having sex is great clitoral stimulator. But it's also a great, I guess, butt plug too. Yeah. I was confused about that description. Thanks for us, but like. Anyway, apparently it's good from whatever direction you want it. So anyway, my other favorite part of the book is it just ends after they get their heartworm. Yeah. There is an epilogue. There is an epilogue, but it's, it's, I mean, there's a short epilogue, and then, uh, so FYI, if you have read this book before, and you're like, eh, should I buy the Berkeley Special Edition? The Berkeley Special Edition includes a honeymoon, and then also another 
scene, Georgie learns to hunt. So it includes two other stories that have lots so of sex. Georgie learns to hunt is the epilogue. Not nope, the that honeymoon. was a separate story originally. Okay. So not actually an epilogue. So originally the book descended. Six months later, and that one I didn't read because it said it happened after one of the other ones in the series. Yes. So here's this is this the part was, that was the commentary on capitalism. Okay, tell me. So she's when she's abducted by aliens, she originally thinks it's a stress dream about work because mm-hmm. she's a bank teller. Yeah. So like, talk about a commentary on capitalism. Right. She literally has stress dreams about counting money and miscounting money and piles mm-hmm. of money. And then when she ends up on this alien planet, uh, of course, Vectal, we haven't mentioned this, is the chief of his few remaining people. And so she immediately, upon committing to staying on this weird-ass planet and repopulating his race, gag me, the put-a-baby-in-her is so strong in this book, um, starts to try to be useful. Mm-hmm. And this is where Meg is saying she tries to learn to hunt. She tries to do all of these things. And it's his whole attitude is you can do anything and contribute. Mm-hmm. I understand why you, given the way you came into this tribe, you hunting as like the useful thing. But we have a medic. We have a tanner. You know, someone's cooking by the fire right now. And it's not gender role based. It's just like find your skill and use it and use that Mm -hmm. to contribute to society. We're a partnership. I'm like, even if I didn't want to hunt, it wouldn't matter, but I can hunt for us. Like you figure out what makes you feel useful. And I was like, this woman starts out this book having stress dreams about literally counting money in a modern Mm -hmm. capitalist society and Mm -hmm. ends up in the socialist commune where everyone teaches her. She doesn't have to feel pressure to perform any given task. The point is to benefit the collective. Mm-hmm. Pre-industrialist, so socialist collective, yes. I mean, and she even jokes it's a little more Stone Agey, which I have a whole commentary on. Like, I'm sorry, but I would immediately try to introduce plumbing. Oh, for sure. I know jack shit about plumbing, but I'd still be like this. There are no, she even jokes, like, there are no toilets. Like, where the fuck do they shit? Probably in the woods. I couldn't do that. Like, no. <laughs> I'd be back on the spaceship having an abortion, just for the, for the record. Even if the other new aliens would come and get you? No, no, no. I would have gone on the spaceship. I would have tried to rewire the one that brought them there. Or I would have faced certain death rather than have a weird alien baby with no no toilets. I'm just being honest. Well, I mean, you could always get your curry, but then not get with your fated mate. She was already pregnant. Well, I know, but I'm not talking about like you if you were one of the other girls. You're not George. In this situation, I would be trying to flee (laughs) or I would accept certain death. (laughs) <laughs> rather than have to repopulate a fucking race. So, anyway, this book is ridiculous, entertaining. Like, what the fuck is this book? I'm not disappointed I that I read it, though. Oh, me neither. Is there anything else that we need to talk about in trigger warnings, or did we cover it all? Uh, I, I, think, I think we covered everything. I mean, we covered all of our notes. Yeah. I- I'd add with sexiness when we're saying they're fucking all the time it's very open door uh yes they don't have doors 
partially because they don't have doors. <laughs> so <laughs> nothing is closed door. <laughs> but it got repetitive. And this is something I don't know if we've ever like reviewed a book where I was like, I kind of got bored of the sex. It was like, okay, he's going to like suck her nipples, go down on her again, thrust into her from some angle, and then she's going to see stars and we're going to be over. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's written from his perspective. Sometimes it's written from hers. But like by the seventh sex scene in a very short book, you're like, okay, here we go again. I mean, I do think that part of it is that these were, and you didn't even read the final story. But I said it said would spoil it. It said it would spoil the book. My gosh. <laughs> I I don't well, Lane and I have very different opinions of reading series in order. But also, like, I don't think you can spoil this. Like, you know, if you learn that, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I don't think it's a big deal. But there was okay. a spoiler warning in the text. She's like, I think it's okay to read, but it does talk slightly about this. And Lane is like, nope, not reading it. Correct. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If you um, had to place a bet, Meg, what would you have said I would do? Uh, I mean, you would have stopped. I knew it. But I had hopes that you would continue. Did not. <laughs> but I, I think that part of it is that, like, probably two of those sex scenes happened in what you call the epilogue. So Georgie Learns to Hunt, I think it's called. Yeah. And so the book itself had slightly fewer. And I, so really these, these two little extra stories were written as sort of fan service for the people who liked the first one. And they're like, I want to read more about Georgie and Bechtel. Right. So I think, I think that part of it is there's so much. So, I, I mean, you're right that, you know, there's a lot in there, but I think that like, some of the scenes from the additional stories are, I can't believe I'm going to say this, maybe a little gratuitous. I mean, I think that's often the problem with epilogues. Yeah. Specifically is that they are just written to be like the bow. Right. And so the sex doesn't serve a purpose to the plot. And that's not to say sex after conflict can't serve the plot. Mm-hmm. But I feel like epilogue sex often doesn't serve the plot and ends up feeling like meh because of it. Right. And I think that's, I think that may be part of the issue here. That's true. They're in the water. They weren't even having sex. They were just talking about having sex. I was like, okay. <laughs> You're like, yeah, like, yeah, the yeah. novelty of your dildo situation has worn off. Lane, are you going to read the second one of these? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Is that not clear? I just, I just want to make it clear to all of our listeners that Despite all of the issues that we had, because there were issues, we're still going to keep reading these fucking books. Oh, my God. This is about a woman who just says, fuck it, to life on Earth after serious trauma, which I'm choosing to overlook. And, yeah, I'm going to hook up with a dude with appendages designed for my sexual pleasure. Yeah. As long as I don't have to read about their fucking children, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking forward to talking about these books with you, Lane. Thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs> Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet on Instagram at Plotrits, Goodreads slash Plotrits, or at our website, um, Plotrits on WordPress.